but so but hypothetically though could <laughs> yeah. you create a tsunami with this technology with enough energy with enough energy <laughs> enough <laughs> water enough <laughs> enough, enough land like everything yeah 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 hypothetically yeah. <laughs> 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 Welcome back to the Engineering Dads podcast. Sean, Paddy, how are we doing today? Oh, very well, James. How about yourself? Very well, thank you. And I'm very pleased to uh, address that we've got a very special guest on with us today. Uh, also, Sean, please feel free to introduce yourself and, and where you're talking from today. Hi, guys. Great to meet you all. Yeah, I am another Sean. Uh, I'm an <laughs> Irish Sean rather than an Australian Sean. But I live and work in Spain. I work for a company called WaveGarden creates uh, world-class surf parks and my role as head of development projects is basically giving advice to our partners in the early development phase of their project right from the sort of first idea and dream of building a surf park through the feasibility and design and engineering and permitting and fundraising right to the point where they're ready to start construction so I'm here and happy to hopefully be able to answer uh, the questions that you have for me. And we want to say a massive thank you already for joining us because um, I can tell you right now, all three of us have started to become amateur surfers and uh, the urban surf in Melbourne was uh, uh, has been something that we've been planning to go to. One of us has actually gone to, uh, James. Yeah, so I'll get into that, Sean. So I, when I first started surfing, I have some, some friends who they've been surfing since they were kids and I saw photos of them at this wave park in Melbourne. I was like, this, this place looks absolutely amazing. Where is it? Um, and we went to the F1 Grand Prix actually earlier in April and they said, well, let's go to the, yeah. to the urban stuff. Let's check it out. And I, I was straight on it. Um, I was kind of, I did, I did a silly thing and I booked the advanced session straight away. Still being a novice <laughs> surfer thinking, you know what? It's fine. I've surfed three, four foot in the ocean. Yeah, um, and right. then it's like, yeah, you'll be fine. And um, yeah, first wave I took off and I'm like, wow, this is completely different. But I loved it. And what I loved about it was, and I think Sean and Patty will be able to sort of to resonate with this feeling is it's really hard to to learn how to surf in a, in a crowded ocean. Being a beginner, there's so many people around. Um, I found it so intimidating and, and getting in people's way and not understanding, you know, the lineup and how that all worked. Going to urban surf yeah. really probably one or two sessions is like three or four weeks in the ocean. And I absolutely loved, loved it to a T and I, we're in Sydney and I, I believe there is one opening at Olympic Park and I'm very, very excited for that one to, to come into fruition because I could, I'm already going to book in a membership as soon as I can to, to go there. Oh, geez. Great. Yeah, and we're getting that feedback actually from everybody, the, the potential to progress much quicker. I mean, I learned to surf one uh, just before I turned uh, 40. I moved to Spain and I said, I want to learn to surf. I've lived by the beach here. So it's not ideal to try and start yeah. a, a sport like this uh you know when you're a bit older i wish i started when i was four rather than 40 but yeah and i spent <laughs> two years really in the ocean trying to learn to surf whereas i've seen people that within three four months of regularly going to a wave park they they reach the level that i did after two years in the ocean so yeah it's very good for for progression because it's all about repetition Mm -hmm. you know and the wave the wave quality is good every single time whereas you go to the ocean it too big, too small, it's too windy, the tide is not right, etc. So you're guaranteed the right wave for your level and ability and you can get that over and over again and then progress. Yeah. So maybe just for our, our broader audience, what would you say in like say twenty words or less or like your elevator pitch, what is Wave Garden 
and um, where do you see Wave Garden going into the future? Sure. So uh, Wave Garden is a company based in the Basque Country in northern Spain that uh, put in 12 years of R&D before launching its first product. And we now, thankfully, I think are, you know, widely considered as, you know, the number one company in the world in terms of developing man-made uh, surf parks. And we provide uh, not just the technology to deliver the, the perfect waves, but a whole series of services wrapped around that to create the best possible experience coming to a man-made beach and surf destination and have an absolutely brilliant time, not just in the in the surf, but also on the beach and, and hopefully in the bar afterwards. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I think that's a, a perfect uh, explanation of it. And I saw that right now Wave Garden has, uh, I think, five different installations around the world in North Wales, England, Australia, South Korea, and um, oh, Switzerland, I believe is the last one. Is that correct? Yeah, we actually have six open to the public and then our seventh is actually at our headquarters itself. So we've been, you know, obviously had built a, a post scale facility at our office so we get to surf at lunch that's very important uh, so <laughs> secret garden uh, yeah secret so one. the sixth one i think the one you missed might have been brazil we yeah. have a large project in brazil so and we have another four projects under construction right now wow, uh, which include uh, sydney tel aviv uh edinburgh and another one. Oh my goodness uh, come to me <laughs> And then another like three in pre-construction, you know, right there, you know, they've got the permitting and they're just right in the final construction design phase. You know, three, a couple in the US, Merck Beach, Virginia Beach, actually three on Coachella in California. Oh and then we've gosh. probably got another 45 projects in the feasibility phase. And that's where basically I'm helping in all of that phase to try and get these projects as quickly through the development and, and planning phase so that we can get started and get construction so i imagine guys that we will be delivering anywhere from five to eight projects per year every year from 2024 onwards for the next five six seven years that's Jeez. the demand yes. out there that's and, incredible and, and admittedly my obsession is is so great <laughs> every now and again i go on like the the aerial maps because i've got access to see the latest maps and I'm always going over the Sydney Olympic Park. I'm like, oh my God, where's the construction phase in? What's, have they have they yeah. laid the banks yet? Are the motors in? Uh, how's yeah. everything going? So um, I'm, I'll just love looking at it and it really shows sort of the, the skeleton view of the park. And I think one of the things I want to get into is, is how the wave is actually generated and the mechanism that's used because just at first glance and actually being at the park, it's, it's such a unique way of doing mm. it. Like it's it's so much better than the old blower system that that different technologies employ. It's actually using pure mechanical energy. So, I, I guess in simple terms, can you explain how how it actually works from from a mechanical point of view? We'd all like sure. love to know. Yeah, I mean, the company started in two thousand and five, and it was basically founded by uh, some local husband and wife uh, who had developed skate parks, but their true passion was surfing. The idea was, well, if we can deliver a skate park anywhere, why can't we deliver surf park anywhere <laughs> in the world? You know, give, give that passion and excitement for surfing to people who aren't near an ocean or if they are near an ocean, it's too busy, it's too packed and, and so on. So that was sort of the, the start of it all. And as you can imagine, 
there are various technologies that were already sort of potentially available to mm. use, you know, off-the-shelf technologies. Pneumatic technology, for example, is the most common sort of old wave pool technology that you would see within water parks and stuff. And, you know, we looked at that as a company early on and just felt that, no, this is not going to be sustainable. That's the past. It's not the future. It's worth trying to develop something that is completely and utterly bespoke hmm. for surfing as opposed to just for, for, for wave pools. And so there was a period of about 10 years where we looked at and started looking at, could we build something that's circular, a never-ending wave? Could you imagine you I, get on the <laughs> wave and you, you, you surf around continuously going either left or right, and it goes on until you get exhausted and fall off. But literally very quickly within six months, we realized that the scale of facility that you need and the issues of currents and how that impacts mm -hmm. it, it is just not going not gonna to work. We then started to look at uh, what was called, a, what we call a sort of a snowplow type or a foil uh, approach, which is basically you're pushing this very large, imagine a sort of very large snowplow and you're pushing it through the water or pulling it through the water mm -hmm. and it's pushing a wave out to either side of it. And in fact, that's what we built first to full scale, the sort of lagoon, uh, we call it the Wave Garden Lagoon. And we built one to full scale in the UK that's still operational in, uh, in Surf Snowdonia in Northern Wales. And that basically delivered to, you know, very exciting, you know, two waves every minute and a half that were really fun and surfable and rippable and, and so on. But it had challenges in terms of we were seeing so much demand that we realized that two waves every 90 seconds or two waves every two minutes isn't enough waves yeah. to get enough people into this lagoon. And at the same time, the CEO, Josema, in his mind thought there might be a completely different way, taking all the lessons we'd learned on, on developing the foil technology to deliver, to go from maybe two waves every two minutes to two waves every eight seconds. And, Jesus, and that obviously yeah. was a massive game changer in the whole sort of for us. And that became what we call the Cove technology. Mm -hmm. And the Cove technology is what you saw in Melbourne, what's being under construction in Sydney, is going to happen very soon in Perth, and we're developing all across the world. And the Cove technology is a electromechanical system, and it's a modular system. So, uh, James, when you were in Melbourne, uh, you saw the machine, I think they call it Rory. The Rory, yeah, that's Melbourne. right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the longer that machine, the longer the wave, because within that machine, it, within Rory, there are 46 individual modules. Yep. And it's basically 46 motors that are moving a mechanical part, which is a panel. And mm. what's really clever about our system is that uh, the motor during the cycle, uh, part of the cycle, it acts as a motor, and as part of the cycle, it acts as a generator. Right. So as we're as we're creating the waves, we are recovering and putting energy back into the well, system. Well, so it means that. Oh, sorry. No, yeah. continue. This is a great trend. No, no. Go, please go on. <laughs> yeah. So you can imagine that you have a series of panels uh, side by side going along the length of the the machine, and depending on how far you push those panels out to one side and at what speed and the timing and the synchronization of those panels and when they move down along the machine from the back of the lagoon towards the front of the lagoon, 
that's how we can make all different types and shapes of waves. So at the, wow. our standard menu at the moment that we deliver in our facilities is sort of, you know, 20 to 24 different types of ways that are the push of a button that you can set up and you can set up your playlists. And, <laughs> and, the, and, and the wave DJ can sort of organize and go, okay, I'm going to change this and put this wow. wave and then that wave and so on. So that's all there. Um, and because it's electric mechanical, unlike a pneumatic system, there's only two stages to the process. There's an mm. electric mo uh, motor that's pushing a mechanical part, and that's making the wave. If you go to pneumatic, which was the off-the-shelf system that a number of projects are being built still with that pneumatic, you have an electric motor pushing a mechanical part, which is the fan, that yeah. then has to push air. So there's a third component in that sort of link to creating and transferring energy into the wave. Mm -hmm. And that just makes, that makes, that actually adds about 10 times the energy requirements. We've done all of the measurements of one wave that we make, we can make it for 10 times less energy than a comparable yeah. pneumatic right. uh, system making that wave. And those pneumatic so, waves have so much more energy losses as well than straight from electrical to mechanical energy as well. Yeah, which it's, is, I think the best uh, explanation is the difference between an internal combustion engine where you've got a chemical energy going out to kinetic, whereas an electric vehicle, you have electric going to kinetic and then you can recapture yes. that kinetic. There's no way to turn a moving car back into fuel. You've developed a way to yeah. do that with a wave. You've been able to create electricity and that feeds back in. Yes. And that, I didn't realize that was the technology. That is absolutely incredible, by the way. I'm very, very impressed. Yeah, and, and with rising energy costs, this is becoming more and more in a significant advantage. I mean, when we first started out, we thought this is the way most companies are going to create ways like us. It wasn't, and you know, we're not particularly special that we're using an electric system to make mm. ways, but we've realized that we are, and it's because we put that 10 years of R&D in, and then other companies are coming in. They're realizing that there's significant growth opportunity in this sector. They're trying to get in quickly, but they're skipping maybe that five to 10 years of R&D that might be needed. They're getting this off the shelf and mm. pneumatic technology and then when there's a direct comparison in terms of sustainability and energy efficiency and operational costs everyone's coming to waveguard so yeah. we're you know we're, we're really happy we're obviously completely paranoid and almost anal about our ip yeah uh, we don't want people to sort of know exactly how we do it and uh we're very very careful <laughs> with that and uh, the less we sort of say on exactly how it works but the thing the thing for you guys to know is that we have literally designed every single component of our wave uh, machine from scratch, mm. except for a basic motor that we use that has been in the industry yeah. for 50 years. And mm. it's, you know, it's pretty basic thing yeah. with a few tweaks, but basically every single thing is, is bespokely designed. And then we manufacture in North Spain, as you may not know this, but North of Spain is an extremely well-known region for sort of precision engineering mm. with a very high manufacturing uh, um, number of companies. And there's only, there's only one of the few areas in all of um, Europe that exports precision engineering products to Germany, for example, because oh, it is, uh, <laughs> the Basque country is very well known for that. And we had the actually Australian guys from Melbourne your uh, your team came over with their team came over and visited some of our manufacturers and when they saw it they were like oh, okay i now realize the level yeah. of precision that 
that's needed in the engineering and in the construction and manufacturing of, yeah. these, of this machine. Uh, I'll leave it to you guys. Uh, because every country says, why can't you manufacture it here? And we go, no, 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 we have to do it. We have to do it where we're based because yeah. we keep ensure quality control and make sure it's, everything is perfect. And then we can sort of guarantee that when we ship it out and install it uh, and test it, that it's going to work and come smoothly. Yeah, you notice that with a lot of companies that they're just, they do just move manufacturing, they design it once and move it somewhere else. To see you um, making a such bespoke and really innovative product um, and only like ensuring that's only built in the, the, the Basque country, that is incredible. And I, 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 I applaud you for that, by the way. That's a really good feat that I wish more engineering firms kind of did, to be perfectly mm -hmm. honest. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Something I noticed, yeah, Sean. I mean, uh... Sorry, I was going to say something I noticed. Um, is is when i was there as well is you had this sort of right and left bay where one wave was coming after the other i just wanted to go back to the mechanism you were talking about is that because the panels are moving left to right and creating one wave subsequently and that's why they're alternating when you look at it from like an, an aerial view okay absolutely so you imagine your set of panels are fixed and they are straight down the middle of your machine and we start you can either start pushing a wave to the right or start pushing a wave to the left. But you you set up a, a sort of a synchronous motion where you push out a wave to the uh, left and then four seconds later, there's a wave going out to the right and then you're back again. So there's sort of eight, it's two, it's two waves every eight seconds on a sort of standard set setting. Yeah. Uh, and so you're pushing one to the left and pushing one to the right. Uh, uh, and, I... and, it's, and it's that movement back and forth that's helping regenerate energy into I actually remember on one of the, I did a night session which was crazy by the way with the LEDs on um, and I had yeah. it was a, initially a sold out session on the intermediate setting but half of the session were a group who had all actually got COVID so they couldn't come anymore so <laughs> obviously sad for them but it was a, a crazy it was a crazy <laughs> amount of waves it was like you catch a wave you paddle back in the lineup and you by the time you're in the lineup you're ready for your next wave I was in pain for like three or four days no, but it was so people, worth it yeah People don't realize it's exhausting. Mm. It really is. I mean, you think because, oh, okay, I'm going to get 10 to 12 waves in an hour. But when those waves are each 14, 15 seconds long as they are in Melbourne, and by yeah. the time you paddle back out, you're exhausted at the end of a 55-minute <laughs> session. You really are. And then we have people who don't know that, and they decide to book three hours. They're going to three days, <laughs> three sessions. And Amateurs. they do it. Uh, you, were mentioning, uh, you were mentioning F1 earlier at yeah. Melbourne. There's a lot of F1 drivers that are surfers. Yes. So, like Lewis Hamilton is a huge fan and he's been to Melbourne a number of times. The young Schumacher guy also is a big fan and so But we... Damon Hill, I don't remember him in the past. I went to Bristol for the first time where we had opened our first facility about what three or four months before it opened in Melbourne. And while I was in Bristol and I was surfing the, the full scale facility, having a great time, I met Damon Hill and he was in the water. And afterwards I spoke and said, How was that? And he said, Oh, it's great, I'm exhausted. But I got another session right now, <laughs> three sessions in a row. And actually, he got halfway through his second session. And then he thought, okay, I'm, I'm just too tired. It's for an athlete, <laughs> gassed. For so, a professional athlete, say, I'm done. That's pretty crook. <laughs> so it's, it's interesting you mentioned that, Sean, because on that note, when we were down there for the F1, um, I was actually having a chat with one of my friends about um, oh, Michael Schumacher and how much of a fan I was of, of him and Ferrari. And still am a fan of Ferrari. And then to only turn around and see Mick Schumacher was there with both yeah. Connor O'Leary and Isabella Nichols, two, what, two of yeah. my favorite surfers. And I was just like, 
wowed. I'm like, I have to go up and ask for a photo. But then I was like, oh, well, Isabella Nichols and, and Conor O'Leary are also here. This is crazy. I'm seeing both my favorite F1, well, one of my favorite F1 drivers and my favorite surfers together. James just shut down. <laughs> yeah, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't process it. So the fact that you get those big heads, I think that week was Bell's Beach competition for the WSL. So even people like Kelly Slater yeah. were, were there for a bit. Um, Felipe Toledo was there on the same day as us as well. So um being there to yeah, learn Felipe's how to surf and pan. yeah felipe comes to our headquarters a lot so he and his family he brings his wife and his kids and they hang out for sort of we we say to them listen felipe we only have we've got another group coming in the afternoon and but they just want to stay the whole day and because it's great fun you know it's a, it's a sort of that's another thing about it. i mean i have three kids all of them learn to surf here in spain they're better surfers than me which is good yeah. Uh, but you know maybe once a year we get an opportunity to go to the, our wave garden here at the, at the office and it, i've had a session maybe for an hour where it's just me and the three kids and it is just incredible because you're mm. so close to them you're seeing their faces as they're taking off whereas we go surfing in the ocean we sort of get split up a little yep, bit yep. there's loads of other people around and it's not the same the atmosphere and the fun and the, the, the sort of enjoyment in the lineup that mm. you don't really get in the sea because it's quite competitive and you're trying to oh, catch yeah. waves and there's five other people trying to catch the same wave. Here, everybody wants you to do well and have fun because it's your wave, it's your opportunity, and it doesn't bother them whether you catch that wave or not. You know, So there's no yeah. competition because each person gets their wave at, yep. you know, when it's their turn to catch their wave. And so the atmosphere in the lineup is always very positive and fun and you can chat and so on. So yeah, it's great. It's a fun, really fun experience. Yeah, it makes surfing seem like a way more approachable. As, as new boots who are trying to get out mm. to waves when in that kind of competitive mindset. We're where... fighting for every wave that comes by whilst, you know, for wave guarded, <laughs> you know, it's like, I, I mean, you could take this one. There's one coming literally eight seconds i'll be yeah. fine like unless yeah. you go in the real ocean you know yeah. it's 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 war out there yeah exactly. <laughs> well speaking of the ocean I, I did notice online that the wave garden was said to be able to do both fresh water and uh, salt water what is the difference of design between the two is it effectively the same design it's effectively the same design but unfortunately a lot more expensive in terms of the protections corrosion resistance yes yeah. corrosion resistance yeah would that so, sorry would that be more ex- projects sorry would that be more expensive for fresh water or salt water salt water salt water oh, yeah, so the, yeah more expensive for salt water and we are uh, all of the projects we've opened to date are using fresh water and in most cases that fresh water is being sourced from a local river or a well or a canal or whatever but in some cases the water is coming just straight from the grid what's important is that it you know if we're talking about sustainability from a water perspective as well it's a closed water system so the only lot once you fill the lagoon the only water you lose is through evaporation yeah and yeah we've also in addition to making wave making machines we realize that the clarity of water and having a crystal clear lagoon is so important to the experience as well not just for health and safety obviously mm. but to the whole experience and feeling that you're in a sort of tropical <laughs> surf environment so we again decided to build and set up our own water treatment system because there was and team there was no technology out there that we felt was good enough for a facility and water bodies of this size mm. that takes advantage of the fact that by making waves it's really good for water quality it's good yeah. for circulation it's good for oxygenation and so on so we now have a full water treatment team and we've developed our bespoke water treatment system that is now sold with all of our uh, wave machines so that 
we're guaranteeing the perfect ways, but also perfect water quality. And that's that's really important part of the experience. Yeah, so, so Sean, I, I'm, my trade is a water and wastewater engineer. So one of the questions ah. I, uh, I, I was dying to ask was how that water treatment system worked because there's so many now turnkey water solutions that are implemented, especially around around Australia and I know other parts of the world too. So is it the same stock standard water treatment solution for all the Wave Garden Cove places that you're using? And if so, what is that technology? Is it yeah. a matter of filtration, yeah. disinfection or? Yeah, so it's a, a combination of filtration, but a, a very particular type of filtration, which has very limited uh, water loss through backwash. Because the problem with sand-based filters, which are the most common in water parks and so on, not only do they take up a huge amount of space, is that you use it, you lose a lot of water through the backwash system when you're mm. you're cleaning the filters, and a lot of that water then has to be dumped out. So we have a very specific filtration system that has very limited water loss. I mean, a tiny amount of water loss through that backwash process, and then we also put that through uh, sort of UV. And then there's also some chlorination, yeah. some disinfectant. Now, the key thing, and actually I spend an awful lot of my time dealing, dealing with this issue with uh, various state health departments and so on, is that mm. uh, local regulations, they want to try and regulate us like a swimming pool. And a swimming pool requires in most places, including Australia, that you have one part per million of chlorine, okay, mm, yeah. of free chlorine in the water body. I hope you noticed, uh, James, that when you went there, your, your your skin wasn't smelling of chlorine afterwards. And yeah, because so oh, felt... I bought extra moisturizer with me because usually after swimming in a chlorine pool, I'm I'm you know making sure my skin yeah. doesn't break. But uh, it was fine after that. It wasn't be nice. too chlorinated. Yeah. Yeah, and it's and it's because we make the argument, and thankfully almost everywhere the local regulations agree that you don't need as much chlorine in our facilities because when we're making ways that itself is oxygenating mm. and cleaning and helping the health of the water. So we're using an oxygen level, what's called the ORP level yep. of the water as a way of showing the health of the water in addition to a minimum amount of chlorine, but it's half or even less than half of what you would need in a swimming pool. Because in a swimming pool, there are dead spots. There are many more people oh, in the water right. per square per square meter of water surface. Whereas this is a massive water body, much less people in it. And there are no dead spots in the water because mm. the waves are circulating that water around that's, and so on. So. That's fascinating. You're actually increasing that oxygen reduction potential, which is what ORP to encourage disinfection to happen throughout the pool rather than having those dead zones, like you mentioned. I am in, absolutely yeah. blown away. In English, James. <laughs> yeah, that's... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> But um, yeah, so while James is a water engineer, I'm a renewables energy engineer. And James has mentioned mm -hmm. before the podcast that um, Wave Garden is renewable powered. Um, could you touch on that? Sorry, I wasn't too sure on, on the details. Yeah, no, I mean, it's in that all, almost all of our partners are sourcing their energy from mm -hmm. renewable providers. So it's not that we have yet got a fully independent uh, powered uh, yeah. system you know, from solar power on site. Although that's under development right now in Bristol. So in Bristol, developing the solar power uh, option to deliver, to, to manage our power requirements. Yeah. And this is actually, this is actually probably one of the, if I looked at the top three or four innovations that the company is working on at the moment, the technical teams and so on, you know, the whole issue of solar powered and being mm. completely sort of independent and potentially off 
I mean, you won't be completely off the grid because you need to be attached to the grid to yeah. push power back into that grid and, and so on. But um, that's something that we're developing very, very quickly. And the, the reason that we're quite positive that we will get there is because our basic energy consumption is so low. So yeah. you imagine that you're running a session at uh, WaveGarden and we're delivering 400 waves so that let's say you've got you know 40 guys in the main area that's giving them at least 10 waves each if we deliver 400 waves and then mm -hmm. those same waves reform in the bays for the beginners to catch so we can potentially have you know maximum 40 guys catching the big waves and then we would have another 48 you know 24 in each bay beginners so we have a yeah. maximum capacity of 88 people per hour Jeez. delivering 400 400 waves we can deliver those 400 ways for less than 400 kilowatts per hour for that set. <laughs> wow. Okay. So it's like one wave, one kilowatt hour for wave. Now, Jeez. that basically is less than a single chairlift in a ski resort. Yeah. The power required. Okay. Wow. So that now, if you use pneumatic, it's going to be 4,000, you know, so that's, wow, you know, this. Now, with that level of consumption, then thinking about using solar. It's, it's possible, but then you yeah. have to think about peak. What's the transformer size that you need? And yeah. as, of as of today, if we were opening a facility tomorrow, we would say to our developer partners, listen, we need a transformer of up to 2.5 megawatts mm. for, our, for our wave making system and our water treatment system. Yeah. Uh, and that's to manage the peaks, even though the general, you know, the average consumption is three to 400 kilowatts per hour when you're running it because of peaks when you're making a wave it peaks up and then yep. down and backs up and down but we have uh, we have installed a top secret energy management system into <laughs> our headquarters that with an aspiration to bring that peak requirement down and flatten and level that off so much so that we are we can't say for sure but we're very optimistic that we will our transformer size requirements will drop to well below 1 megawatt and when that's the case solar is going to be very yeah. possible to deliver and you know maybe with 5,000 square meters of solar or a little bit more mm. we could be running this yeah so that's the really exciting thing we're working at it's the way the direction we absolutely want to go and it's a direction that many of our partners want us to go as well so that's high on this sort of agenda in terms of uh, new innovations we're working on that's incredible in terms of like disconnecting from the grid i generally when i advise in my day-to-day -day job we usually say don't disconnect from yeah. the grid get as much solar as you can within your your means um the whole like idea of reducing peak demand this is a nuance that i find very few people know about or talk about i have a, a possibly a few ideas of how you might do it but let's not talk about that right now just because i don't want to sure. expose any like uh trade secrets uh, <laughs> so, okay, okay. <laughs> but yeah um so yeah that that's pretty much it on the on the energy side of it i just wanted to to touch back while we talking about um Sol, uh, sorry, salt water versus fresh water is simply one of the main differences in materials going from stainless steel, for example, in the freshwater basin to marine grade aluminium. Is that one of them or is that one of many? Yeah, I, I guess. Now, actually, I don't, I, I'm not actually sure the specific answer to that, uh, yeah. guys, because uh, I haven't been involved in the potential redesign of the, of the, mach of the machine for salt water. 
but I imagine that is the case. It's about protecting that steel. But I, my, what I've heard, it's more about protecting the electronics. Yes. Mm because of the salt mm. in the air and there's a lot of salt in the air and so there's yeah. a lot of cabling obviously that are going into that machine and into each motor all of it's above water and it's a good you know meter or two above water but even mm. so with the salt that's going to be in the air the impact that that has so it's protection of those cables as i understand mm. it uh, I, is, is an issue actually this 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 sparks something in my mind because you guys are international and you're building say in obviously in australia and brazil and switzerland do you ever find difficulties having to build to different country standards or is this is it technically yeah. one standard you sort of adhere to when you tweak it to to help with that specific country yeah so you know we adhere to all of the european standards in terms of sort of the technology and the electrics and the safety and all of that and we've got all of the various verifications and certificates of that in some countries we then have to go and make a tweak so example now for the us we have to make a particular tweak and we're working with the local you know us based you know engineering partner to help with those tweaks so that we can say and there's an issue about you know the voltage and step down voltage and and things like that but thankfully the european standards are considered mm. to be very very good in any other part of the world uh, and then it is it is a, just a bit of a tweak but you know i think it's important to say that the basic mechanics of our system are pretty straightforward and very very robust i mean we operate 16 hours a day in melbourne in, in peak season mm. um it is it is the software and the the creation and the innovation of how mm. you move these panels to create different shapes and types of waves and that combined with the shape of the bathymetry of the lagoon that's the real that's where the real top secret stuff is and, yeah yeah uh, yeah i mean we i mean this is amazing so we have had our facility in here in spain for since 2017 so five years and just two weeks ago the guys created a new wave that we thought would be impossible to create in our in our facility in our wave garden facility it's a slightly smaller facility it's still got full-size waves but they're shorter mm. because we have a small site but we've created an easy takeoff and then a barrel wave that we thought we could never do in such a small area of water and a small facility. So five years later, we're still able to innovate and create and find yeah. ways of making new different is, types of waves. So that's quite fun. Is that similar to the barrel that's created in, in Melbourne in a way? Because I noticed, because when I did that advanced session, that takeoff was super easy. And once you're on the wave, you're like, this is an easy wave. And then out of nowhere, you're pulled into this super yeah. sucky barrel that just sucks. Like if, if you're not in the right section at the right time, you're gone. The the, the water will just consume you. Uh, I noticed yeah. like the takeoff was so easy, but the barrel was so hard to, to navigate through. Yeah, we've got sort of five or six barrels, you know, from B1, B2, B3, B4, and then Beast and, and mm. you know, and there are different ones. Beast and, mode. you know, my, my level of surfing is I want a, an easy takeoff and then to see the barrel and then to go through it. Mm. And that's what we deliver in most of it. But there are those sort of beast mode and other ones where basically you're almost, you know, dropping right off. It's like almost like a slab takeoff. You know, almost need to airdrop down and yeah. then immediately fit into the barrel. And those are the really challenges ones. Thank goodness you got the barrel session that you did and not the sort of the, the higher one that you did. well yeah because the there's beast mode. Well, it, it is it yeah. is actually called beast mode it's the expert session mm. at melbourne but it, it is referred to as, as as beast mode and we did see a few yeah. people doing that because i know it's five in the morning they do that session so we got there super early on the last day to watch that 
Um, and it was incredible watching that that live in action. It's super thick barrel, super sucky. Yeah. And, and watching people navigate through very, that. It's, it's very difficult. And, you know, we have the pros coming to our visit us at test facility all the time. And, you know, even somebody like Italo came and we said, well, okay, well, Italo, put you in the water. We'll warm you up with, you know, a few easy carving ways first. And then maybe he said, no, 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 just throw me the barrel straight away. And, you know, he face planted on the first two takeoff. But then, of course, once he sort of got yeah. into it, he was amazing, absolutely incredible, mm. you know, and he was like one of the best surfers we've ever seen there. But it is, you know, it's challenging. And uh, people often ask us about, should we go bigger? Let's go bigger. And, and for us, it's like there's a massive payoff. Mm. between and a massive trade-off between you know just by adding another half a meter we get up to around about two meters if you were to add another or six foot if you were to get to eight foot it's not it, that's like more than double the energy mm. needed to get that extra it's mm. depreciating energy and it's mass. and it's for a relatively minor small minority of people and actually we can provide very sort of powerful challenging barreling waves in in you know the size of system that we have now and if you go bigger you need more water you need more energy you need mm, bigger lagoon yeah. you need more power and we just don't think that that trade-off is necessary i mean it may come along that somebody insists on it and we'll look at it but from a sustainability perspective we like where we are at the moment because we can make a strong justification that it's a low energy requirement and actually in terms of water we use less water than two or three holes on a golf course type of thing so mm. you know the understanding of what's you know our wave parks or surf parks sustainable or not if it's a wave garden system we believe it's you know very sustainable yeah but so but hypothetically though could <laughs> yeah. you create a tsunami with this technology <laughs> with enough energy with enough energy <laughs> enough <big> water <laughs> enough enough, enough land parts. Like everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hypothetically. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hypothetically, we can make a it's a yes. long wave. Yeah, it's oh. just the, 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 you know, the longer the machine, the longer the wave, the more yeah. modules you add. You have 46 modules in Melbourne. There's 56 in Korea. So the wave is 18 seconds long. You can get a barrel of oh, 10 well. seconds or more in Korea. Yeah. So, and then, you know, we might go to 62 or even 66 modules somewhere in the future. Uh, so, but there is a trade-off again between the length of the wave and the number mm. of waves you get in your session. Yeah. And we mm. have found, like if you looked at Kelly Slater's system, it's you know brilliant wave, amazing, mm. but it's 45 seconds long and it's one wave every five minutes. Jeez. So, yeah. okay, there's a massive trade-off there between the numbers of waves you can get and then so on. So we, we think there's a nice sort of balance between, okay, 15 seconds, 16 second wave, 10 yeah. of those an hour, 10, 11 of those an hour is an amazing session. You know, that's a great session. Or should I say 10 opportunities an hour because you might fall off. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. you're, given, I, you're given 10 or 11. It's a very realistic I, approach to it, Sean. <laughs> I did want to add yeah. though, like if you do fall off, especially on the advanced session, because it's super, super sucky. I was really like freaked out when I fell off because I try to paddle back out of, into the lineup but I'm being sucked into the person's wave behind me and then just watching them. It's not like the ocean where you're just pushed into a section. Like you're, you're literally sucked back on the wave and especially because it's fresh water. You have to paddle really, really hard. Like it's taking your paddle strength to the next level. So in that sense, like I found it very similar to like the surf gym is what I found it. Cause I went back into yeah. the, into the ocean a week later when I got home and I'm like, Oh my God, I feel like I'm paddling like so fast out to the back now, like duck diving yeah. so easily because I, I had acclimatized to that different, uh, style yeah. of, of of surfing yeah i mean and we are facing 
you know, we're always discussing this. We've now built an, op uh, an operations team. The company is now 90 people. So it's grown, you know, yeah. very organically, but it's grown quite fast. And within that, we're building a full operations team as well. Um, there are discussions within that about, you know, the period between the ways, how we're we giving too many ways, should we reduce the number of ways, mm -hmm. but also how you manage that takeoff point. Because if someone takes off and falls, really the guide should be saying to the next surfer, stop, wait, yeah. don't take the next wave, wait, let the next wave pass, then take the one after that. So the person who has fallen has that opportunity to basically grab, get up, grab their board, and then use the white water of the second wave behind that's broken. And that takes you in and then out around and then you come back out in, in out the point as well, out through the rip. Because yeah. if you try and paddle, if you try and paddle across, you're going to get in other people's way on the wave and so on. So there is a sort of a system. And the nice thing about the design of our facility is that there is a natural rip. The wave breaks towards the shore, but then the rip takes you back out next to the center of the lagoon. If you get into that rip, you're not duck diving. You're not, you're not paddling too much. It's helping you to get right back out to the takeoff zone. But yeah, when you fall off on takeoff or halfway down, you have to sort of be disciplined to go in towards the shore a bit, then out to out to the side yep. and then, you know, I'll take you out. Yeah. That's good surf etiquette. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, we want to say a massive thank you for spending the time to talk to us about uh, Waveguard. And this has been a really eye-opening experience. Um, a lot of information learned, a lot of trade secrets will keep hidden. Um, but thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate you spending the time with us. Pleasure, guys. Really enjoyed it, and uh, yeah, good luck. I hope you enjoy Sydney once we once we open up there. Oh, we'll be in sure the queue. Will, yeah, will for be. sure. <laughs> <laughs>